and welcome to Pick 6 Movies, the only podcast on the internet willing to pick six movies all related to a single theme, and then on each episode, take one of those movies and provide all sorts of behind-the-scenes history on the who's-its and what's-its and why's-its behind how the movie was made, followed by a full review of the movie to see if it's any good. Talk about a run-on sense. My name is Chad Cooper, and I am one of your two charming hosts, who along with my lifelong friend, Mr. Bo Ranzo, cordially welcome you to the very first episode of season 21 of Pick 6 Movies. This season's theme is Bombs Away, and it's sure to be a real disaster, because this season we're taking on six of the greatest box office bombs. We're talking about movies that critics hated, that audiences hated, These are movies that lost hundreds of millions of dollars. They devastated careers, they demolished reputations, and genuinely left a wake of destruction of epic proportions. Now, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. But if you're a returning listener, also welcome. But you better than anybody know that we mostly discuss movies that are not very good. But for season 21, we're turning it up a notch. And tonight, we've got one of the most unwatchable and notoriously bad movies ever made. Cutthroat Island. It's got pirates and um, it's got some pirate ships. There's a monkey. Gina Davis is in it and Matthew Modine. It is really bad. I'm not going to lie. But Bo has a fantastic introduction as to how this movie was made. And you know what? I'll be back in just a few minutes and we'll goof on the movie and try to, you know, turn this episode into a real good time. No guarantees. <laughs> Bo, get in here and tell these people a pirate story. Ah, a new season has arrived. Season 20 of Pick 6 Movies. The critics said we would never make it this far, and we've seen those critics come and go. Meanwhile, we have remained, releasing progressively dumber episodes in disregard of the laws of gods or men. And so how do we mark this momentous occasion? Why, by discussing six movies that were notorious in their own right. Movies that were, as the common parlance goes, bombs. And to begin this illustrious season of infamous movies, we begin with a movie that is a disappointment both financially and as a piece of entertainment. I speak, of course, of the pirate adventure Cutthroat Island. But before we get into why this movie is such a dud... Let's examine how hard it seems to screw this up. I mean, it's a movie about pirates and not just any pirate, but a sexy lady pirate searching for treasure on the high seas. The stories of women pirates are romantic in nature, up until the moment you do the most cursory of research and realize being a pirate sounds like a job for sociopaths and the desperate. Take, for example, Cheng Yi Sao, who began life as a prostitute in a Chinese brothel before marrying Cheng Yi a pirate who would, along with his wife, build a pirate navy in the early 1800s. When her husband died in 1807, Cheng Yi became the leader of nearly 50,000 men and a fleet of ships that laid waste to the coast of China and beyond until she was finally given a deal by the Chinese government. Cheng Yi could be hunted down and killed at the cost of life and limb to find her and her small navy, or she could retire and keep all the money she made in her years of plundering. Cheng Yi Sao was no fool and chose the latter, and ended up running a casino until her death in 1844. During her reign, she instituted a rigid code of conduct among her men, 
punishing sexual assault against women with beheading and deserters were given the old Van Gogh, that is, they had their ears removed. While Cheng Sao was an interesting thief and marauder, the gold standard of female piracy has to be the female pirate team of Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. Anne Bonny was born around 1700, a product of an affair an attorney by the name of William Cormack had with his maid. When the maid, Mary Brennan, came up pregnant, William's wife left him and he maintained a relationship with his illegitimate child, Anne. So taken was he with this girl, he did what every doting father does. He asked her to come live with him and pose as a boy and pretend to be a distant relative to everyone that wasn't him. Naturally, time will take care of the gender reveal, and when Anne was discovered to be a young woman, William, Mary, and their child all immigrated to present-day Charleston, South Carolina. Around 1711 or so, Mary, Anne's mother, died. And this seems to have sparked a fierce anger in Anne, not to mention the whole pretend you're a boy and not actually my child thing from her father. While William Cormack changed careers from attorney to planter, his daughter became a staple of the local taverns, drinking and carousing with many of the young men in town. He claimed her behavior damaged his business and engaged in unwomanly acts that left him shamed. When Anne decided to marry a poor sailor by the name of James Bonney in 1718, William Cormack disowned her completely. James Bonney took Anne to present-day Nassau in the Bahamas, called New Providence at the time. There, James Bonney made a living snitching on the pirates of the region to the local governor, a guy named Woods Rogers, who was himself a pirate before being appointed governor. James Bonney would collect the bounties on the pirates' heads, while his wife, Anne Bonney, spent most of her time in the local bars and had an affinity for the very pirates her husband sought to turn in. Rumor has it, James Bonney caught his wife half-naked in a hammock with one such pirate, leading one to believe that their marriage may have been less than solid. Eventually, Anne Bonny met a pirate named John Rackham, known as Calico Jack on account of his fancy clothes. Anne left her tattletale husband in favor of a place on Calico Jack's ship, becoming a pirate herself. Her first contribution to this endeavor was a grisly plan in which Calico Jack's ship would assault merchant vessels and Anne would stand over a mannequin, painted with blood and wielding an axe, chopping up said mannequin. The image was so gruesome, often the merchant ships would hand over their cargo without a fight. Not everyone was happy Anne was on board, however. Tradition held that having a woman on your ship was bad luck. Legend tells that one of Rackham's crew voiced such an opinion of Anne's presence and got a dagger in his heart for his troubles, courtesy of Anne herself. When they weren't pillaging ships, Anne served as Calico Jack's lover and a sort of housemistress for the ship. During official pirate business, she would don more masculine attire, no stranger to posing as a man for the benefits of others. And now we come to Mary Reed, leaving Anne on the high seas with her lover and Captain Calico Jack. Mary Reed grew up in similarly rough circumstances to Anne Bonnie, an illegitimate child of a sailor's wife. The sailor had given Mary's mother a son before Mary entered the picture, but he died at sea, and the son had also passed on as a child, leaving only Mary's mother behind. But Mary's mother was offered some financial support by her late husband's mother, but only to help her grandson, who had, if you haven't heard, had just died. But the mother-in-law didn't know that part. 
And so, Mary's mother, not wanting to give up a chance at some cash, did what any good parent would do. She got herself pregnant, had Mary, and then pretended Mary was her dead son to the relatives of her now late husband by dressing Mary up as a boy. Yeah, just like Anne Bonnie. Mary's grandmother was no fool and quickly realized her grandson was really a granddaughter and the money dried up. But Mary's mother continued to dress Mary as a boy, renting her out as a servant to make ends meet. And then Mary turned to sailing and found a spot on a Dutch ship where she still passed as a guy. A lot of sailors at the time were teenagers and didn't have much facial hair, and Mary wore billowy clothes to disguise her breasts, and the effect seems to have worked. Also, the poor diets of sailors at the time probably meant she wasn't menstruating. All to help conceal her very feminine identity. That is, until her ship was hijacked by pirates and Mary found herself conscripted to service under the pirate Calico Jack Rackham and with him, Anne Bonny. Well, Mary and Anne spent a lot of time together on the ship and there are some indications that they might have been lovers. Jack was certainly jealous of their closeness, but once Anne revealed to him the fact that Mary was, in fact, a woman, that jealousy waned. Mary was characterized as foul-mouthed and vicious, and she and Anne orchestrated some raids of their own that turned out to be quite profitable for the crew. So successful were they that in 1720, a sloop was sent to stop Calico Jack and his crew from the governor of Jamaica. The sloop found Jack's ship and set upon an attack near midnight, a great time to attack a pirate ship because a lot of the crew was drunk or passed out. Cannons roared and Jack's ship was disabled. The pirate captain agreed to surrender, but Anne and Mary were a different story. They fought back against the governor's men with a few loyalists to their cause, firing their pistols and wielding their swords. The legend has it during this battle, Mary Reed cried out, If there's a man among ye, ye'll come up and fight like the men ye are to be. When no one came running, Mary fired into the hold and killed one of her own crew for their cowardice. And of course, they were captured. Calico Jack was scheduled to be hung and asked to see Anne one last time. At that meeting, it is rumored Anne told him, quote, If you had fought like a man, you'd need not have been hanged like a dog. Anne and Mary were both tried and found guilty of piracy, but their executions were both stayed on account of both of them being mysteriously, quote, quick with child before they were to be killed. This appears to have been true, however. Mary Reed died in prison, likely due to a fever brought on by childbirth in a fetid prison. She was buried in Jamaica in 1721. And Bonnie, though, has no record of death or of her release. There are some rumors that she eventually fled Jamaica and returned to South Carolina, where she lived until 1782. And those are great stories, right? Tales of female swashbucklers putting the men and their crew to shame with their wit, their bravery, and their swords. But how good a movie does it make? Well, that story began in 1986 with a movie called Bloody Bess, a darker pirate tale that never got made, but Rennie Harlan had been aware of it and thought a modern pirate film might be a good idea. That idea sat and stewed for a while. And then he pitched it to his producer pal, Mario Casar, who got excited about the prospect of a pirate adventure film. In fact, he got so excited, he started building ships and sets before there were things like a script finished. Director Rennie Harlan wanted to make a pirate film too. He was married at that time to Gina Davis and wanted to make her an action star. 
Harlan convinced Mario Kassar that Davis would be a perfect action hero, and Kassar agreed. But this was for a company called Carolco, which was in really rough shape, financially speaking. You may remember in our discussion of the film Cliffhanger that Carolco was behind that movie too, and had to sell off most of the profits on that one to stay in business. Carolco rose to prominence on the backs of the first Blood movies, and went on to produce big-budget hits like Total Recall and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. They also produced smaller films that made almost no money, like Wagons East, or Mountains of the Moon, or Last of the Dogmen. What movies, you ask? Right. For every hit, they had a loss, and Carolco was known for making audacious deals to pay its stars. By the time Rennie Harlan was making Cliffhanger, they were making some wild swings just to stay in business, which leads us back to our subject and the wildest swing of all. Cutthroat Island was always going to be a vehicle for Gina Davis, but originally cast in the role of the rakish Shaw was Michael Douglas. He agreed to do the movie on two conditions. One, they had to start filming right away so he could meet other obligations in his schedule. And two, he had to have as much screen time as Gina Davis. When rewrites beefed up Gina Davis's part, Michael Douglas bailed and Davis threatened to quit too, but she and Rennie Harlan were both locked in by their contracts to make this movie one way or another. So there was no escape for Davis, who would have to walk the plank on this turkey no matter what. Rennie Harlan, now without a male lead, abandoned the script and pre-production duties to find his co-star. He told the crew in his absence, who were building all this stuff in Malta, quote, When the casting concerns have been resolved and I arrive in Malta, I want to see the most spectacular and eye-popping sets, the most interesting and unusual props, and especially weapons and special effects that leave the audience gasping in awe and stunts that no one thought possible before. No sequence or setting that you've seen in movies before is good enough. Any idea that has been previously used has to be reinvented and cranked up ten times. While the crew was making sets that were cranked up ten times, the role of Shaw was being turned down by some of the greats. Tom Cruise said no. Keanu Reeves said no way. Liam Neeson wasn't having it. Jeff Bridges had too much grit. Charlie Sheen was too busy winning. Michael Keaton was a Mr. No. Daniel Day-Lewis methodically turned it down. And Tim Robbins gave it a thumbs down as well. The one person who agreed was Matthew Modine. And he agreed partly because he'd been a fencer and thought he could show off some of these skills besides being a generic white guy in movies. Oh, and also Oliver Reed was cast as Uncle Mordecai in the movie, but he was fired when he got real drunk on set and showed his dick to Gina Davis. Very bad behavior indeed, but very on brand for Oliver Reed. Much to Carolco's dismay, all this delaying was costing millions, and this was not helped by the fact that Rennie Harlan fired a camera operator, which caused a small mutiny among his crew, who all had to be replaced. And, in a truly poetic turn, busted pipes led to raw sewage being pumped into a swimming tank where the actors were supposed to swim, and all that had to be drained, and cleaned, and repaired. And then there were the script problems. Rennie Harlan agreed to pay a million dollars of his own money to fix the script when Carol Co. pulled out their pockets and cartoon malls flew out when they needed rewrites. And then they finally started filming, and the original cinematographer fell off a crane, broke his leg, and he had to be replaced too. Oh, and all those sets being built when Rennie Harlan was away casting? All had to be redone, adding to even more of the production cost. All of this cost Carol Co. somewhere between $92 million and $115 million, 
and then tack on to that about another $20 million in advertising. While Carol Co. had been aggressively selling the overseas rights to the movie, assuring everyone this was going to be a big hit, privately the studio was counting on the movie to succeed for their very existence. On that budget, the movie opened and was immediately panned. Roger Ebert damned it with this faint praise, quote, I saw it because that was my job and having seen it, I grant its skill and award it three stars on that basis. Ebert bringing the heat on that one. Janet Maslin of the New York Times was less kind, saying, quote, It's not possible to believe that Miss Davis is the highly respected captain of a pirate ship, and it's not even fun to try. The movie made about $10 million in its opening weekend and was a legendary bomb from that point on. Matthew Modine probably got the worst of the fallout and never got a top-billed role again in Hollywood. This was also the last hurrah for Rennie Harlan, who made some mildly successful films like Deep Blue Sea, but even the far superior The Long Kiss Goodnight with Gina Davis released the next year bombed because people still remembered the stink of this bilge barge. For a while, this was listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the biggest box office flop of all times. The only person who seemed to have a good time at all was the villain of the film, Frank Langella, who named this as one of his three favorite roles for allowing him to be so cartoonishly evil. And of course, Carol Coe folded. Their hopes pinned to a sinking ship, they sank along with the movie. But is this leaky ship as bad as all that? To get to the bottom of that, it's time to call in the other member of our crew, Chad Cooper, to set sail on the seas of failure. Ladies and gentlemen, Jackson Marys, it's time to raise the flag for 1995's Cutthroat Island. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of Pick 6 Movies. And this, as always, is a celebration because we are beginning a brand spanking new season. I am one of those people beginning a new season. My name is Bo. With me, as always, is my pal Chad. And I'm spanking myself. Kapow! Kapow! Ew. I mean, whatever your kink is, I'll be the last person to tell you not to enjoy your life and... Any way that doesn't hurt others. I mean, hurting yourself is its own thing. But yeah, so we're doing a brand new season. This one, Chad, (laughs) as if you didn't know, is called Bombs Away. And we are taking a look at six notorious cinematic bombs. Yes, we are. We do bad movies all the time, but these are chef's kiss, classically shitty bad movies. Like, undeniably bad. We get emails and other comments like, you guys are assholes, you hate movies we love, and Batman Returns is awesome, and Speed 2 is better than Speed 1. Like, alright, whatever. These movies, no one's gonna apologize for these six movies. We will not receive one comment that says, the movie you just reviewed is misunderstood. Man, 
man, you say that, and already, <laughs> when I have told a handful of people that we are starting this season with this movie, Cutthroat Island, spoilers if you Oh, didn't you mean read my the birthday title. movie? The movie I watch every year on my birthday? Yeah, a couple of people are like, I weirdly have a lot of affection for that movie, and I'm like, how? What in this movie? Like, I understand if you have a crush on Gina Davis. I've got a crush on Gina Davis, too, especially from this time period. I saw The Fly, and, and she's gorgeous in that. She's gorgeous in this, but she's woefully miscast. Every year on my birthday, I watch Cutthroat Island, I eat an entire package of black licorice, and I wash it down with root beer. What's wrong with that? You're the weirdo. One, that's going to lead to diabetes. <laughs> Two, you should never see Cutthroat Island more than once when you say like, holy crap, that was terrible. I don't, I'm glad I never have to watch that movie again. Unless you're us. I'd never seen this movie until you teed it up as the season opener. And but it is shockingly boring and extremely yeah. long. And it's PG-13 due to a maybe a typo by some sloppy admin over at the MPAA ratings board. Yeah, it's completely bloodless it's two hours and what four minutes long but Ugh. in reality it's about an hour 55 when you take all the credits into consideration but it is the longest hour and 55 minutes of your life to steal another comedian's joke if i ever get diagnosed with a terminal illness chad i uh -huh. just want you to put me in a hospital room and play cutthroat island <laughs> on a loop because it'll feel like a fucking eternity <laughs> This movie looks older than it is because mm -hmm. it came out two years after Jurassic Park, but it looks like one of those straight to home video mid 80s movies. It reminded me of those international knockoffs of more successful movie franchises. Like if it had been made a year after Pirates of the Caribbean came out, then I would have believed it. Like this has all of those ingredients. It's just shit. It's got the color palette of a 1983 adventure television series. Yeah, in and of itself, it is a white bread mayonnaise sandwich with a side of cottage cheese and a small glass of room temperature skim milk to drink. You know, <laughs> as I talked about in the introduction, though, this should be a slam dunk. This should not be that hard. It is, you know, having pirates on the high seas. And while I didn't watch all of those Pirates of the Caribbean movies, I saw the first handful. And that first one in particular gets it just right. Like, that's a really fun, entertaining movie. I think one, two, and three. Although three gets a little convoluted just because of all of the storylines that they weave together. But those movies really benefited from the advancements of computer technology. Like, you could really seamlessly pull it together. I think what hamstrings this movie is that it completely... Well, not completely it mostly relies on practical effects that just don't pay off as well as what you see in present day filmmaking plus i think that modern day movies the editing of films is so much more rapid fire watching a movie from 20 years ago the pacing of it feels artificially slow which at the time i'm sure it was high speed action like oh my gosh you know i'm about to pass out because of all of the horses running around but it pales in comparison to the kinetic energy of marvel movies or the Pirates movies or present day Star Wars movies where you have a thousand edits in a 60 second clip of a movie. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, but also Raiders of the Lost Ark existed and that has great action sequences that are still fun to watch. It's just that they're well, well directed and they're interesting. You care about the characters and there's a sense of whimsy and wit about it all. Oh, this movie doesn't have any of that. It's oh, got a monkey. It and, does have Raiders had a monkey. They killed that monkey. Well, that monkey killed itself. Yeah, 
that monkey had problems. <laughs> that monkey had so many divided loyalties. It's no wonder it ate that bad date because it was like, uh, who who am I with? Like I, I basically set up the woman that was going to be you know my caretaker and even though i'm kind of spying for the nazis i kind of like her more than the nazis but now i've put her in a position where she could be killed and i see the emotional toll this has wreaked on indiana jones i just can't take it anymore that monkey ate that date on purpose if you're a monkey and you're listening to this podcast or if you know a monkey that's considering committing suicide go and seek some monkey help there are resources out there for suicidal monkeys i don't think any monkey should take its own monkey life whether it was through dates or through riding tiny bicycles off of cliffs or what else do monkeys do throwing so much of your own semen that you become exhaustively dehydrated and you just pass out yeah if you're a monkey or the owner of a monkey that's exhibiting these kinds of of signs Mm -hmm. then just go to the website mentalhealthaintbananas.com and there are a number (laughs) of resources available to you let's kick this off let's kick this off because we got a two and a half hour something movie to discuss our movie begins with an old-timey nautical map with drawings of ships and islands here and there and monsters be ahead type imagery and top billing goes to Mario Kazar who was the executive producer on some of the biggest movies from the 80s and 90s. You mentioned him in the intro. He was attached to the Rambo films and Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Basic Instinct, Cliffhanger, Showgirls, the last three of which we've discussed on this very podcast. And then came this. (laughs) As we talked about the introduction, it was also like Last of the Dogmen and a bunch of movies. Well, we're not talking about his turd films. We're talking about the good stuff. Yeah, but Mario Kazar was making a lot of crazy gambles. And this is just the one that finally sank uh, that ship. He was involved with those Terminator sequels uh-huh. and the TV spinoff, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yeah, that's right. Nah. I never watched any of that. Um, I didn't either. <laughs> In fact, this is the first time I've heard about it. <laughs> the music here is all very aligned with high seas adventures. And then we get our title and we get a text overlay, Bo, that says Jamaica, comma, Caribbean, 1668. Mm-hmm. My question for you is, do we need that comma Caribbean? Like, is there another Jamaica that we may be confusing this with? Uh, You might be confusing it with the uh, famous Weird Al song that includes the line, Jamaican me crazy. (laughs) Other than that, no, I am not. Jamaica, New York. I think that is uh, an actual place. Jamoka shake. (laughs) I think as soon as you see the crystal blue waters, it's like, well, that definitely ain't New York. Here we are introduced to Gina Davis's character, who is named Morgan, mm-hmm. as in Captain Morgan, Bo. Oh, I get it. Because, <laughs> because of the uh, rum. Exactly. College-age bin drinkers will certainly agree that this is a quality name for a captain. But in this movie, repeatedly, there are people who refer to her as Morgan or Morgan as some people pronounce it. Yeah, and we get her monkey in the scene as well, so she we, we see her monkey pal right off the bat. Uh-huh. And she's yeah. getting dressed after a night of frolicking in the bed with uh, a lieutenant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and she's like, oh boy, that was really a lot of fun, don't you know? So anyway, I'm going to head out then. And he pulls a <laughs> gun on her and is like, ah, Morgan, you didn't think I knew who you were. But I did. So now I'm going to turn you into the authorities because you're that pirate, Captain Morgan. (laughs) 
<laughs> and she says, oh boy, you know, I hate to break this to you, but that gun there, it's just not going to work because I took these here balls right out of your gun. And it's uh, a little bit of a double entendre, don't you know? Because I, I say that I took your balls and that's both the, the balls that you would shoot at me there, but also your testicles. And I know that's a little off color, but I thought it was kind of funny and the monkey agreed. So I'd never say no to this guy. You mentioned that you like Gina Davis and I like Gina Davis. And in this movie, she was coming off of A League of Their Own. Mm-hmm. And Thelma and Louise. She had the star power to pull off a lead role in a movie like this. And as your voice implies, she's squeaky clean. Like she's very charming, but she's like your mom's best friend. Probably like the sexiest role that she ever had was maybe in The Fly, where she's the the female lead in that. Didn't she prance around in her underwear in Tootsie? Maybe. I've only seen Tootsie like I say prance around. I apologize. That's wrong. She walked. I remember her prancing because i was a teenage boy when i saw that and i thought oh my god there's gina davis in her underwear mm-hmm. <laughs> hubba hubba <laughs> yeah the part that i like best from her i think is when she played muriel pritchett in the accidental tourist good god man what as opposed to her walking around in her underwear i have a type man muriel so sexy in your long raincoat in the way that you're raising that sickly kid (laughs) oh tell me about his asthma also i can't tell based on just this scene is this movie miscast yes or is it just a bad movie because i was like would a different cast have made it a more passable film and i don't think it would i think matthew modine is the biggest offender i think he's really bad in this Mm -hmm. but i also think gina davis who as i pointed out i dearly love I don't think she's right for this. I think you need somebody with a little more gravitas. There was a movie that, in theory, she was going to do with Michelle Pfeiffer that was about female pirates. One presumes it was about Mary Reed and Anne Bonny called Mistress of the Sea. And I'm reasonably certain that Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas, if he had stayed in the movie, those two actors would have elevated this to something, if not watchable, certainly better. You know who I would have cast as her role as Morgan? Shirley Hemphill. Oh, she would not have taken any (laughs) sass from that crew. (laughs) She would have given that monkey what for a lot. Did you see that the monkey's real life name in this was Shania? Mm-hmm. I, I assume what based after Shania Twain I only know of two Shania's Twain and this capuchin monkey pet monkeys were big in the 90s because Ross on Friends he had a monkey and uh-huh. then like Dieter on SNL and Sprockets he had a pet monkey so that's two yeah look I'm a victim of that too nothing makes me happier in any form of media than the inclusion of a monkey not me I think about that poor woman who had her face ripped off by that chimpanzee I saw those pictures of what she looked like after the surgery goo yeah no you keep your monkey that's what i think of too (laughs) you gotta type (laughs) makes me happy though (laughs) outside the window after she says oh don't you know i got your balls we hear somebody shouting out morgan morgan before she jumps out the window though there's one of the moments where you think oh this movie's just badly written also where after she says the thing about his balls she says see i knew that you knew that i was a pirate but i didn't let you know that i knew that you knew i was a pirate anyway gotta go and you're like oh this is gonna be rough from the first scene this is this is written like a third grader trying to describe a movie to you she snaps her fingers when she says you know after we gave each other syphilitic sex it's time for me to scram bucko and then she 
snaps your fingers and the little monkey hops on her shoulder mm-hmm. and then she just sashays away the victor of this conversation and then our movie gives us more credits boo it's a bunch of names i never heard of Bo. none of them until at the very end of all the names we get in and harris Eulen as black harry adams i was like harris Eulen, the yeah. judge from ghostbusters 2 who screams so much he brings back the scolari brothers from the dead that harris Eulen, the one and the same and he gets an and also credit in our movie hell the year before this came out he was the dad and Stuart saves his family <laughs> you sure can't pick him harris also see season two of pick six movies for more on Stuart saves his family wow that was season two that was season two man we were aiming <laughs> high right from jump <laughs> So Gina Davis <laughs> takes off and her and her her first mate maybe Glasspool. Yeah, her first mate Glasspool and she is accompanied by a young up and coming pirate Bowen as played by the oldest brother from Malcolm in the Middle. Yes, no, maybe. I don't know. Can you repeat the question? You're, You're not, not the, the boss, boss of me, me now. You're yeah. not the boss of me. I'm sorry. That's a sitcom that actually holds up. You go back and you see like all of the performances on that and it's pretty solid. I think I've seen one episode of Malcolm in the Middle. Hmm. Yeah. You should watch two. <laughs> so they're riding for the ship they get on a bunch of horses they're riding to uh the, their pirate ship off in the distance there are lots of shots of gina davis in slow motion riding this horse glasspool says to her your father was looking for you and dog grabbed him and just to jump ahead of ourselves dog he's our bad guy in the movie mm-hmm. that's played by franklin gel he's also gina davis's uncle but we'll explain all that later because the movie does a terrible job of explaining <laughs> it really does it was the second time through when i was watching this where it's like oh they're all related okay did you know there's a fourth brother that's not even in the movie no i'll explain that to you in a moment (laughs) did did he just go off to like technical school and is a barrel maker somewhere his name was chuck cunningham (laughs) right he left the show (laughs) never to be spoken of again we cut to a pirate ship and there's a peg leg man walking the plank maybe then we cut back to our horses riding on the beach some more then back to the pirate ship and then back to the horses and then back to the ship the musical score is by john debney and I gotta say, the music in this movie carries the film on its shoulders. It really elevates the movie from being boring garbage to being boring garbage with a passable musical score. I find it a little overbearing, but the, it's a pirate movie and I guess it's gotta be. But I kept thinking of that line of like, it insists upon itself. What does that even mean? That was from Family Guy uh-huh. about <laughs> the Godfather. That's right. <laughs> hey, you know what other 1995 movie that... John Debney provided music for the Powers Booth classic Sudden Death. Oh, that was a much better score if you ask me. (laughs) And a much better movie, quite frankly. What I would have given for Powers Booth in this movie. Gina Davis hops off her horse and she runs over to this guy sitting by a boat and she just kicks him in the face and steals his rowboat. She tackles him from off the horse. (laughs) Credit where credit's due. Gina Davis and Matthew Modine both do a lot of their own stunts in this. Yeah. Almost like Tom Cruise style where you're like, they could get killed doing this. (laughs) They definitely go for it. And there's one stunt in particular that I think is legitimately a great stunt. It's fake. Yeah, it's a match cut, but it doesn't matter because part of it's real. We'll get to it. Yeah. And then there's another totally unintentional stun that just makes me happy because (laughs) Matthew Modine gets brained with a barrel. Well, she rows this boat out to this ship, which had to take like, what, two hours to Mm -hmm. get there? 
the Reaper is the name of the ship to let you know that this is the bad guy. Because <laughs> her, her boat's name is like, oh, the casserole of the sea or so whatever it is. And is the Reaper. You're not going to see like a Red Cross blood mobile come up and on the side it's written the Reaper. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> no, yeah. I'm not giving you blood. Yeah. I'm here to take it. Yeah. Have you ever sure. given blood? Mm-hmm. In the state where you live, do you have a questionnaire before you give blood where they ask you, have you ever engaged in homosexual activity, comma, even once? <laughs> I don't remember that qualifier. <laughs> like, look, you could be cool with us. Just if it was <laughs> in college, if you were experimenting, just one time. That's, that's on the questionnaire of the state where I live. That they ask that, have you ever <laughs> engaged in homosexual activity? No. Wait, even once? I'm surprised that yeah. your state would even ask that question at this point. I think that's illegal. I don't think you can bring it up. <laughs> they just swapped them all out and it just says, like, who is your Lord and personal savior? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> if you're not checking the box next to Team JC, beat it, you. It's two boxes. One says with us. The other says against us. And you check the one that you find most appropriate. <laughs> the living Lord and other. Like, those are your two choices. Right. Dear white baby Jesus. Definitely not from the Middle East. <laughs> Wearing a little tuxedo shirt, looking all classy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Harris Eulid is being interrogated on the Reaper by uh, Frank Lagella, who's playing Dog, as you point out. Who's spelled D A W G? If you're scoring at home, or if you've got a really late issue from the 1990s People magazine crossword puzzle, mm-hmm. Frank Lagella villain. It's the same spelling <laughs> as if you were writing out the Sean Connor line who's the man now dog (laughs) and it would be d-a-w-g yeah dog is surrounded by his pirate crew and he says arg i took this map from me other brother unwillingly that's his blood on the borders and with your peace all i need is mordecai's and bo again i watched this movie twice and it wasn't until i read the summary of this movie's plot on a totally separate (laughs) website that here i was informed there are four brothers in this family there's gina davis's dad Eulen. there's uh-huh. dog there's mordecai and then there's another brother named richard so there's three pieces to the map there were four brothers i guess what the three good brothers got the map and then dog got kicked out of the the mix so he killed his brother richard to get his piece of the map okay all right fair enough and harris Eulen <laughs> says why i don't have a copy of the map I've got the map right here. And he touches his head, you know, like, hey, I got it all upstairs in my, in my Arg! What do you mean you, you you got the map? Is it in your head? Why'd you tap your head in such a knowing way? Arg! He tells his brother, Arg, I'll split you right open. <laughs> At which point, Harris Eulen is just like, I don't think so. And just jumps off the boat. Arg, come back here, Harris Eulen. I was always the smart brother. You know, all my grades in pirate schools were high C's. Oh, hey, crew, did you get that? And, my, and in school, I got high C's because I'm a pirate. Anybody? Did any of you go to school? Do you understand alphabetical grading? All right, never mind. <coughs> Harris Eulid has basically tied himself to this ship's anchor to throw what? himself into the water. That's dedication. 
Yeah, just so Dog won't get this part of the map. Hope that suicidal monkey didn't see how he did it. Like, he's going to get ideas. And Gita Davis happens to have rode just under the plank. That's lucky. It is lucky. It's good timing because Harris Eulen doesn't know she's there. This is just pure serendipity. Right. And so she grabs him and he's like, let me go, Gina Davis, or I'll drown us both. So she just jumps out of the boat. Presumably the monkey just stays behind the rowboat is like, um, I'll I'll just be here when you're done then <laughs> all right see you later they go under the water but not before one of dog's men shoots harry the harris Eulens character i totally missed that but okay that's why he's dying at the end of the of this scene where gina davis like uh sinks she with saves him. him yeah she cuts through the anchor rope and gets him to this sea cave while dog's men kind of hunt for them both on their oh don't boats. you know that dog fella he's gonna pay for this dad i'm gonna fly his head with my banner if it's the last thing i do that's pirate talk i picked it up for some of my salty sailor friends <laughs> i was reading our reader's digest and it had all kinds of sailor talk i can say avast and ye mates is one i really liked quite a bit and uh ho- hoisting the mizzen mast i don't even know what a mizzen mast is dad i gotta tell you i have no idea her dad says <coughs> you leave Dog B, go find your uncle, um, your your other uncle, my brother, Mordecai, not Richard, he's dead, and not Dog. Mordecai, you got another uncle. <laughs> Take my crew and my ship and make them yours. I'm dying here, and my last wish is for you to take out a giant knife and shave my head. And what we learn, Chad, it's not just shaving his head, it is carving his skull up. You want me to what, Dad? Shave your head? I didn't expect I, I got a knife here. For once in your life, daughter, do what I told you. All right, I'm going to cut it real close. I know how you like that shaved look. Oh, I, boy. <laughs> hey, what's all this uh, writing here? In case of emergency break glass hey is this a joke do you think there was like a dotted line around the crown of his skull to show her where to follow <laughs> yeah it had cut here <laughs> along the, the perimeter of it a little set of scissors <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh boy that is handy let me just slice my father's skull open here and oh boy jesus that is, christ it hurts i'm not dead yet that is a lot of blood there you know what i know it's a little advanced for this particular time maybe a little anachronistic but i gotta tell you the the thing about blood vessels being all up in your head like that totally true look at you you it looks like somebody just poured red paint all over your face but it ain't paint it's your blood which you need to live which you're not gonna we get to a fancy aristocratic dinner party for white people only and there's chamber music being played here we meet ainsley who represents the british rule of the island with his powdered face and his curly wig and his rouge on his cheeks and lips and we also meet his underling a character named trotter who's a bit of adult and he looks a lot like dane cook (laughs) yeah he kind (laughs) of does ainsley walks over to trotter and he says you there what's your name plopper squinter like really ainsley you thought this man's name was plopper or squinter (laughs) with all the dogs and mordecai's running around anything's possible you there, Pincha, Felcha, Rima, <laughs> whatever your name is. Miss Mandy Ricketts across the way, that terribly ugly woman standing all alone, whose father invests heavily in the colonies. Go dance with her. And Trotter says, I don't want a boss, she's ugly. Her name is Mandy Ricketts. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> 
so I hate this script so much, Chad. And so while they're debating, you go dance with us. Uh, into the movie swoops Matthew Modine. Uh-huh. And he's like, say that, Mandy Ricketts. How about a dance? Why, I'm a doctor. I know that doctors are sought after here in the colonies. You know, I like to flirt. What about you? Do you like to flirt? I liked all the ins and the outs of the body. That's flirting right there. In fact, one of my favorite things to do as a surgeon, which I totally am, is doing some probing. And then he grabs her ass and she's like, whoa, a man. It is a man moment. For those who don't know Matthew Modine, in the 1990s, he was like a low-rent Ryan Reynolds. He was tall and handsome, and he took these roles where he was a little bit smarmy and kind of a prick. He wasn't in the league of lovable assholes like Bill Murray or Michael Keaton or even your Steve Gutenbergs. And he was known for Full Metal Jacket, where he played Private Joker, that kind of showcased this comedic dickheadedness that was pretty good. What was the medical movie that he made? I was trying to think where they were in, like, some south american country no that's a steve gutenberg movie this was one called was it gross anatomy I'm gonna i think i think up. it is gross anatomy because i came across that recently on one of the streaming services and i came so close to hit and play on it and then i was like what am i doing i cannot possibly watch gross anatomy there's a uh, like a hector elizondo i think is in that daphne zuniga is in it christine lottie is in this one i would have sworn that hector elizondo was in it but he is not in that movie though the head doctor comes to him and is like hey diagnose this patient and then he figures out the patient has lupus and she's like so what would you tell the patient he's like ah, tell him you're fucked you're gonna die and then it turns out that the doctor gave him the case it's her medical records and then he learns a real life lesson to be a good doctor and not be an asshole but he's still i think kind of an asshole yeah. Which was the charm of Matthew Modine during this time period. Eh, in quotes, charm. I've never been a Matthew Modine fan. Even his part in Full Metal Jacket, much like every Kubrick movie, the actors are kind of incidental. It's really the movie that's the star. He's pretty good in Full Metal Jacket, though. He's fine, but also he is outshone or outshined by Vincent D'Onofrio in that first segment. Yeah, and in the second segment, that prostitute who talks about being me so horny, she He's pretty good. I was going to say the woman firing the AK at, at the mole in slow motion <laughs> is really the star, but you take your pick. In this movie, he's terrible because the movie's terrible. So I don't think it's his fault. Everything about this movie's bad, except the music, which is passable. Matthew Modine tells Skankity Ricketts or whatever her name is. About this time, Matthew Modine is still uh, romancing this hideously ugly woman who's really not that ugly. And he steals the hair comb on the top of her head and he walks away and then Trotter comes out and confronts Matthew Modine and he says hey excuse me what ship did you come in on was it the Bristol Packet yeah that's the ship I came in on the Bristol Packet and Trotter says wait did you say packet or pocket whatever one came in and then Trotter says wait a minute those ships don't come in till tomorrow you're a big fat liar and all the women uh, who are watching Matthew Modine in the hallway start to point at him like it's that 76 Body Snatchers movie where they're like wait a second that man stole my purse he stole my that man stole my pearls. He stole my ruby necklace. He stole my heart. Oh, you can't get that back, can you? So Matthew Modine just jumps up on the banister of this stairwell. Well, it's been fun, ladies. See you in the 
funny papers. And then he jumps off the stairs and within what, three, four seconds is just marched right back up by a military guard that has cornered him. As soon as the action sequence begins, it ends. Yeah. He just jumps 20 feet down and they're like, yeah, come with us. And then Trotter smacks him in the back of the head, which was pretty funny mm-hmm. with like a, gee, what, gee, see what you've done and did when you run off like that, you blockhead. And Ainsley says, well, Matthew Modine, you will enjoy your life as a slave. Is that the punishment for theft? Enslavement? I get that <laughs> yeah. enslavement is the payment if somebody saves your life, or at least that's what sitcoms in the 1980s and early 1990s taught me, but really? If you crash into their car, you have to become their slave for a period of time. Good God, what insurance company are you with? Slave Co? <laughs> They've got the uh, the little lizard that's got the noose. The one that wears a black robe and his eyes are made of fire. <laughs> yeah. You will be mine for all eternity. Hello, it's me from Slave Co. If you need insurance for your motorcycle, your boat, or your house, come to us. If you get in a fender bender, all you have to do is be a person slave from anywhere from one day to all eternity. But the rates are great. <laughs> You select your premium. How long would you want to be someone's slave? (laughs) (laughs) If you don't get an accident, you don't owe us nothing. After five years, you get a slave for one year. (laughs) If you can stay out of trouble for a solid decade, you get your choice. Male or female slaves. (laughs) Or if you'd like for an extra premium, when you die, you'll have total consciousness. That's the slave code promise. Now that you say it like that, it does seem shady. I might need another insurance company. So meanwhile, on the the casserole of the sea, Gina Davis (laughs) is just getting drunk with her monkey, which is kind of a fantasy I have. We also meet another character named John Reed, who's an author. He tags along with all these pirates to get inspiration for his books, and he's kind of drunk and he falls out of a hammock, which is how one should always exit a hammock, drunk and falling out. Yeah. (laughs) John Reed, our pirate book author. Oh, I get it, Bo. His last name is Reed, and he's an author. That's fun i have the same reaction to the naming convention of this movie that sideshow bob does when he steps on a rake (laughs) john reed says listen you've got a ship and you've got all this freedom come to london with me gina davis there are dukes and earls and parties it's totally awesome plus the men on this ship they're not going to take orders from a woman and then gina davis tries to get her monkey to bring her some more booze but the monkey smashes this bottle of rum i kind of thought this was the monkey's attempt at an intervention and then glasspool <laughs> the first mate he comes downstairs and he says gina davis i was hoping to find you sober important things are happening up overhead you should be there because this is your ship the casserole of the sea uh, uh, uh. so she goes topside and we meet a new character named scully uh-huh. who's one of the crew he's the very rational one and then one of the other members of the crew Mulder, uh, has a lot more belief in the strange and the occult and these two are always at odds but i think scully's gonna come around and believe that maybe <laughs> things are more than they seem scully one of the crew says genus davis's dad didn't get us rich we could sell this ship that none of us owns and we could split the money or you could choose Choose me as captain. And then Gina Davis is suddenly sober as a preacher on Sunday. And she steps in and she says, oh boy, listen to me, all right? I'm the captain of this here ship, all right? My father told me as his dying wish, he said, you, Gina Davis, you need to be the captain of me ship. And he says, all of you here, you should be my crew. Actually, those were his second to last words. His last words were mostly screams of pain and stop, 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 as I cut his scalp off the top of his head with this tattooed treasure map I got here in my hand. And then she 
holds it up as proof to show that she scalped her own father, and it's disgusting. The detail of the hair still clinging to this scalp are horrified. And the members of the crew are like, well, what are we going to do with that? And she's like, "Uh, well, you know, here's a little bit of a pickle. I can't actually read it. Yeah, I think it's a map to Cutthroat Island. That's what he was screaming. He was like, quit cutting my throat, you horse. I was like, I don't know. And think there's some buried treasure here. We could, hey, we're pirates, right? We should go get the buried treasure. And Scully asks her, do you know what the map says? She's like, okay, look, I'm illiterate, all right? Hey, John Reed, oh, you're an author. That's funny. I get it. Hey, can you read this scalp here for me? And hold your breath when you get close because it is turning ripe. And of course, this idiot, John Reed, looks at it as like, uh, I don't actually know Latin. Oh, jeez. We got to find somebody who can read Latin. Also, there are three pieces of this map. My uncle Mordecai, he's got the second piece. And my other uncle, Dog, he's got the third piece. So how about this, fellas? You give me two days. We'll wrap up this adventure. We'll get a bunch of treasure. And then we'll be rich pirates. What do you say, boys? Come on. Huh? Who's with me? And so Glasspool then has to look at another character that is meaningless in this movie. A guy named uh-huh. Blair that's got a bunch of facial tattoos his face is like bedazzled with this, <laughs> yeah like, like connect the dots picture yeah like, oh it's a sailboat i can totally see it's a sailboat <laughs> right you have to take a step back and then don't <laughs> focus on it but look at it blair's played by red lynn who was dr phil and cliffhanger oh was he really <laughs> the, boy this carol co band of knuckleheads is, is just rife in this movie but glasspool basically says what do you think and blair's like mm, all right if gina davis's dad picked her to be captain then who are we to say that she shouldn't be captain we're just going to give her a chance boys all right that dog will hunt and so gina davis pulls out a sword and Mm -hmm. hurls it into the mast of this ship and says, okay, so if anyone wants to challenge my authority, just pull that sword out. And it's not like an Arthur thing where all of a sudden you're king or nothing. We're going to have a sword fight. It's more of a metaphorical sort of thing. You get it. You get it. So if I want to be captain, I just pull that sword out of the mast and then do I have to kill you? This is really not something I thought totally through. Let's say that we have to fight and on the back end of that, we'll figure it. Out. I pulled it out right now. Oh, Am boy. I captain? No, you're not captain yet. I'm afraid I'm just going to have to scalp you like I did my own father. So I'm putting uh, it back. I'm putting it back. All right. That's probably for the best. Also, I just got the blood out of this uh, blouse and I would hate to have to send it back to the washers because we don't have laundry. It's the 1600s. We got to a wide shot of an island city. There's a title overlay that says Port Royal, comma, Jamaica. And I'm guessing the filmmakers assume that the audience knows from the prior title overlays that we are in the same Jamaica, comma, the Caribbean that was mentioned earlier. The older brother from Malcolm in the Middle. Well, he's with Glasspool and Gina Davis in a fancy gown, so nobody recognizes her. Yeah. That's how she sneaks around from city to city. She changes out her clothes. Yeah, and so this child that is just being horribly abused on the ship when the camera's not looking uh-huh. is like, hey, uh, I found a translator, but he's going to be sold as a slave. Hey, we need somebody who can speak Latin. Hey, we should go. Guys, come here. We should go break him out of jail. And so she asks John Reed, the uh, author, 
<laughs> on account of me being a pirate and all and just not knowing how to carry myself in public maybe you should guide us to the prison so that we don't you know out ourselves as filthy pirates that are just ridden with lice and disease and and just smell to high heaven you know what i can't really help you out i gotta go meet with my publisher backstabber and traitors they publish all of my pirate novels and so uh i'll see you later oh do they do any shakespeare i really uh, have a tough time reading that because i'm illiterate no they don't do any of that it's mostly pirate porn stories of pirates raping young boys uh that from malcolm in the middle so that they don't rape women from thelma and louise that's really what most of the novels that they publish that i've written they do one about. shakespeare play but it's othello i don't know if that <laughs> has any bearing on on this but uh, uh a classic traitor in that one uh, by the name of Iago. Have you read that one? Oh, no. Oh, that's good. That's good. So Gina Davis Glasspool and Malcolm in the Middle's oldest brother, they go to the prison where they are holding soon-to-be slaves. Inside the prison, there's a creepy British guy named Toussaint who shows up looking for a slave and he sets his eyes on Matthew Modine and he says, I hope you enjoy pain, slave, because I intend to buy you. Like, ew. Gina Davis walks in now with that monkey on her shoulder mm -hmm. and it was at this moment that I thought I think Gina Davis is the only one who can see this <laughs> like it's it's her version of Brad Pitt in Fight Club or the great gazoo in the Flintstones or Fred in Drop Dead Fred I think I covered multiple generations there spoilers for the Flintstones quick sidebar uh -huh. I know you know people always come to you and they're like hey you should totally watch this movie and TV show and you're like oh I'll totally check that out and you're lying because you're never gonna watch it mm -hmm. but when it comes to imaginary friend tv shows and movies the fx comedy wilfred with jason gann playing an imaginary talking dog that only elijah wood can see mm -hmm. is a must watch for any dog owner it's funny and touching it's like an adult calvin and hobbs but in this case this talking dog is hobbs and he's like the voice of reason and chaos at the same time they smoke dope in the basement it's very existential and it's a wonderfully delightful show if you have a dog i cannot recommend recommend this enough so check out will on another dog note while i was taking my dog for a walk today it ate an entire small rabbit was it alive or dead it was dead how long were you on your phone while this happened no time at all by the time i realized what was happening was it like a oyster like yeah it was it, gone it was that quick man i was reaching for it to like hey man like get that thing out of your mouth and it was just done i can't wait to hear what happens tomorrow <laughs> i can't wait to see walk walk Thank you, Easter Bunny. Either he is going to have the biggest bowel movement that this dog has ever had, or he's going to vomit this thing up like John Boy and Anaconda, also a Pick 6 Movies episode. <laughs> so we're back in this prison, and Gina Davis walks up to Matthew Modine in his cell, and she says, Hey there, handsome stranger. Uh, say something in Latin. And Matthew Modine says, Inan Latine Loki. And she's like, Oh, that's amazing. Let's get him out of here, okay? We need him on our team. So uh, just an FYI for me here, what... Uh, what did that mean there in the in the latin and he says i said that you're a very beautiful woman and that i'd like to wash your feet and she says oh that is a little forward there mister how about you start with washing out your mouth and that's an actual line from the movie. Matthew Modine gets brought out to be auctioned off. And that British creep, Toussaint, he starts the bidding at five pounds. Gina Davis goes to 10. He goes to 15. She goes to 20. Glasspool goes over to Toussaint and tells him to back off. And then Gina Davis ups the bidding to 30 pounds. And then she just walks over to have words with Toussaint. And without saying anything, she pulls out a knife and 
stabs him in the side to let her know he <laughs> yeah. means business. And then about this time, the local police see a poster on the wall that vaguely doesn't look anything at all like Gina Davis. And they're like, wait a minute. She's a criminal. It looks like Gina Davis the way that a sketch of Francis from Pee Wee's Big Adventure done by an amateur sophomore high school art student would look like me. <laughs> There's a long tail on that one. Yeah. So she purchases Matthew Modine. So she legally owns him as a slave? Oh, yes. Huh. Our team <laughs> yeah. of pirates head out of town and then the cops show up. So Gina Davis and Matthew Modine, they split off. And then we get a high speed action adventure sequence, Bo. And as I mentioned earlier, Gina Davis and Matthew Modine, they do a lot of their own stunts. Chaos ensues in this slave market. And I'm not sure how much we want to talk about this action sequence. It's surprisingly dull. Yeah, it's a, like they're going up a wall and then back down a wall and they're quipping the entire way yeah they go up scaffolding just to crash through it then they steal a horse and carriage and they race through town yeah she punches a bunch of guys and then he falls off the carriage then two more guys get on and she punches them right somehow or another this royal ship is alerted to her presence and so it starts firing cannons just at random people on the shore (laughs) they explode like they're full of c4 yeah i mean it's it's a ridiculous amount of fire and blowing things up at one point gina davis jumps off the back of the carriage and runs across a rooftop through like an open market and then she says oh i totally gotta come back here to these shops when they have a little more time and you're like "Mm, women be shopping bo (laughs) women be shopping they certainly do chad uh this has my probably my favorite son of the movie which is the one where gina davis like jumps onto that second story platform runs across that roof and then ends up like somersaulting off of that roof back into the seat of the carriage and it's a practical stunt when i saw it the first time i was blown away i was like that's one of the most amazing things i've ever seen captured on film until i read about it and i was like yeah this is all fake the stunt itself is real it's just that they match the shot from the point where she falls into the driver's seat of the carriage and with a shot of her already in that seat but the actual stunt of her tumbling out and falling down into the seat is legit it's just that it wasn't her just immediately jumping back up you say that like you've never fallen out of a window and landed on something on the first story below clearly you didn't go to college regardless of the fact that there's a little bit of movie magic here it's still cool it's it's the one thing in the movie that's like oh that's kind of rocking but it's fake and the way that it's presented is it in watching it it looks real it would be like if you saw that motorcycle jump in t2 where he lands down in the the concrete river basin or whatever and it's one simultaneous shot and it's like that is an amazing real stunt and you're like nah we bullshitted that yeah but they're all also, they're not pirates. Like, I don't care that it, it didn't really happen. I like how it looks and it was interesting. And it's the one time in the movie that something made me sit up and be like, oh, that's kind of cool. I don't disagree with that, but it's bullshit. It wouldn't be one of the biggest bombs that ever happened if it were good. But yeah, so af- after that stunt, she jumps back on the, the carriage. They get away. There's like a big fire that stops Trotter and Ainsley from going after them. And so Ainsley says, oh, say, Trotter. I will give you 200 pounds and a captaincy if you can capture Gina Davis. Ah, gee, boss, that's a lot of money. And that's got to be a pretty big seat for a captain. Be gone with 
with you, Trotter, Plotter, whatever your name is. We catch up with our heroes, in quotes, uh-huh. uh, as they're on the road to Spittlefield. Ugh, to meet the Uncle Mordecai. Yeah. And so this is kind of the moment where the movie slows down a little bit and Gina Davis shows Matthew Modine this map. Oh, this year's my dad's scalp. I cut it off him as he screamed until he passed out from the pain. To be honest with you, I might have murdered the guy. There was so much blood. Under my fingernails, you can still see it's crusted. It looks like dirt, but taste it. Get in there with your teeth. Well, your tooth. Get in there. Taste that. It's iron. Yeah. Why, that's the most horrifying thing I've ever heard. And taste it. Well, just wait. Hey, can you read these here Latin words? Why, these don't look like words at all. And then she aims a knife at his junk. And then he goes, wait a second. I can read those words because they're backwards on the skull. They're in the reflection of the knife. I can read them. Hang on one oh, second. Oh, hey, that's pretty good, dear. Huh? You know what? I'm not going to have to cut off your dick. He ends up translating the scalp, but it's just like some business about Psalms. You know, it's oh. like Psalm 42, Psalm 12 kind of stuff. I think we got to get those other two pieces of the map i was talking about earlier in the movie for all this to make sense probably there's a brief shot of our author reed being taken by trotter Mm -hmm. who's like "Uh, i think you work for that jana davis huh and so he takes reed to meet ainsley in ainsley's carriage i want you to take me to jana davis she made a fool out of me if you see her tell her i'll kill her or she can cut me in on her grandfather's treasure (laughs) either way it's a win-win for me ainsley Two, four, six, eight. Everyone thinks Ainsley's great. Isn't that right, Trotter? Nah, whatever you say there, boss. I think this is kind of foreshadowing like his ultimate turn at the end of the movie. But anyway, let's get back to Spittlefield Harbor. Yeah. Also, real quick, the treasure they're going after is Gina Davis's grandfather's treasure. Mm-hmm. And this grandfather, what, put part of the map on his son's head and then another one got another piece of the map and then one of them they carved on some wood we'll talk about that in a minute like what kind of dad was this <laughs> he's a maniac the kind of dad that produces three pirates from his brood and then the fourth one who went to school and be- <laughs> became an electrician yeah like he's the shame of the family dad why you gotta make me feel lesser than all right i went to a trade school i didn't go to your fancy pirate school with all of your yo-ho hoes and your heave ways or whatever you do i, I put in wiring people's houses i bring electricity to them you never respected me my choices did because i didn't follow in the family business he's the black sheep because he has an ira (laughs) so we got to the ocean at night where we get a title cord that informs us we're in spitfield harbor jamaica which surprisingly looks a lot like port royal jamaica (laughs) bow yeah surprisingly (laughs) in fact all of it looks vaguely like malta gina davis and her crew they head into town and we're introduced to another character named bishop who doesn't really matter he works for dog and he's lurking in the shadows and he sees all of our movies protagonists walking around this open market malcolm in the middle's oldest brother he comes over and says mordecai's up there and he's scared as a goose he's surrounded by guards with guns and then gina davis she's like oh geez he's got guards and guns i gotta come up with a plan you know let me think come on think come on think gd come on hey i got a plan guys i'm gonna switch into a new costume so nobody will recognize me excuse me whore can i have your clothes and there's a real like what from this lady of the evening Uh and gina davis dresses up like this prostitute it's just gina davis in a red dress though yeah but you know tarted up and she's (laughs) escorted by shaw and 
then she tells him like, oh, geez, you're just going to need to hang out here in the courtyard for a little bit. I'm going to go up and talk to my uncle. I haven't seen him in a while. And it turns out I'm going to have to pretend to fuck my uncle to get into the room with him. So it's a bit of a complicated family situation that you don't need to be in the middle of just yet. I didn't even tell him about you. I didn't even tell him we were dating yet. When all this is over, somehow I'm going to be my own grandma. All right. So she goes up to his room and the guards are like, oh, before we let you in, we need to feel you up some. And so they're grabbing her boobs and stuff. And she says, oh, geez, you know, I'm just going to take care of you guys later. And I know that sounds mildly threatening. You know what? I'm just going to let that into, into this sentence just hang like that. She walks in to see Mordecai and Mordecai says, oh, wait a minute. You're not a whore. And she whips out a gun from her thigh and she says, oh, that's right. I'm a lady, not a whore. Uncle, Mr. Husband Mordecai, uncle, don't throw up when I show you this. But look, I got my dad, your brother's rotten scalp with me and there's a map on it and I need your piece of the map to go find this hidden treasure. Hold your breath when I hand it over to you, all right? Because you're going to throw up. I'm used to the stench because it's been with me for like two days. But oh God, the flies, all of this, it's a mess. So he basically says like, dog is coming for me. I don't want any part of this. But if you join me, it'll be like uncle, niece, grandma against dog. Like you can't have an uncle and a niece slash grandma against Uncle Dog. We're totally gonna we can't number him like three to four. Well, I like those odds, and also I think it sounds a little sexy. I'll join with you niece grandma wife whore and then they leave this safe room and immediately gina davis has a chain whip snapped around her throat and they yank her down from the second floor to the first floor it's dogs men are everywhere and then dog shows up and he says i'm looking for me friend bluebeard he fell in the red sea and was marooned <laughs> get it bluebeard red sea marooned anybody jesus christ <laughs> you guys are a bunch of assholes right, gina davis give me your father's map while dog is interrogating gina davis this, we see Shaw uncorking a guy's powder horn as he starts. It's the bartender. Off. I like that the bartender is still working during all of this drama. Dog grabs this eel puppet from a barrel. Uh huh. And is threatening her with it, like, Arr, don't you like the looks of this, Gina Davis? Oh, jeez, good God, what is that? It looks like a demon snake or something. And while Dog is threatening her with a live eel, in theory. It's like those eels from the princess bride yes i mean it's like 14 feet long and two feet tall yeah and so glasspool kind of tosses a candle to shaw on the sly and shaw mm. then lights the powder trail yosemite sam shows up starts blasting off a pistol this bartender gets blown the fuck up uh-huh they killed the bartender <laughs> yes. it's like the end of die hard 2 only in a pirate bar yes and so while chaos ensues after the bartender explodes how much did you love the action sequences in this movie because you didn't have to take any notes or pay attention it was great because nothing happens and nothing's very exciting or good it's no. just a uh, there's some sword fighting and blah 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 a barrel gets smashed and mordecai crawls over and grabs a random piece of wood before dying and it turns out the piece of his map was carved into this random piece of wood yeah then dog shoots gina davis in the stomach and she's like oh heavens to betsy uh i've been shot point blank this is surely how i'm gonna die but if i do just heads up i do not have a map 
on my scalp. So please do not cut off the top of my head, all right? Just letting you know. My religion says that if you cut off my hair, I can't go to heaven. So please leave these black curls alone, if you would. This whole sequence looks like something out of a Pirates Adventure Dinner Theater production. There's all this (laughs) low-stakes adventure, and Gina Davis figures out that the mention of the psalm numbers on the map represent the longitude for Cutthroat Island or something. Another important plot point here, and I use important lightly, is that Mordecai has been stabbed through the gullet by Dog. And when Shaw sees him dying and kind of rifling through this barrel, Shaw puts it together that, oh, this wooden chunk of the map is actually built into the barrel or something and he grabs that and so gina davis doesn't know he has this but also in some of the worst adr in the movie you actually hear gina davis saying i think you've got something on mine mr shaw so you better come this way shaw's matthew modine right? yeah right sorry okay i only saw it twice i, I don't know what's going on this they end up escaping in slow motion yet again because because there was explosions going off everywhere. But this is the scene where an actual like wooden barrel conked Matthew Modine in the head. And they uh-huh. used that shot in the movie. Because it was really him getting the, hit in the head with this. And that's alright. That's my second favorite thing in the movie anyway. <laughs> What was your first? Uh, oh, the, 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 fake, the fake action scene? Yeah. Oh, and okay. so then they just go back to their My ship. favorite part of the movie was the end credits. Like, <laughs> thank God. The, oh, we'll talk about the dumbass ending of this in very short <laughs> in order. Just a few minutes. Yeah. Our heroes get back to their ship and they set sail for Cutthroat Island. Now having two of the three pieces of the map. Then Dog goes back to his ship and he's all pissed off. He's screaming and shooting members of his crew. He says, Arg, I be so pissed off. And there's one sure way to make a pirate irate. You take away the letter. P. Get a pirate, P I R A T E, and you take away the P. It's irate. My crew be a dim witted, massive, rotten mouth, uneducated morons. I tried to teach them the alphabet, but they spent too much time on the sea. Anybody? Hello, is this thing on? Dude, there is. <laughs> A point where one of the crew is like, well, we can't leave just yet. We're still putting food on the ship and stuff. And Dog says, well, there's only one way to be solving that. That's to have fewer mouths. And then just murders one of his own crew. Like, he seems like the worst boss in the world to work for. Back on Gina Davis's casserole disease. She's there. Remember, she got shot earlier, Bo. Mm -hmm. And here she's still shot. But apparently it's not a big deal. Gina Davis marks where Cutthroat Island is on the map. And she tells her crew, all right, guys, guys, gather around real quick huddle up um i got some good news and i gotta tell you i got some bad news let's start with the good news i know how to find cutthroat island also bonus good news my uncle dog is probably gonna follow us there and uh he's gonna be workshopping some material for his uh, 15 minute set at coconuts which has an open mic every thursday if you want to go no cover to drink minimum but anyway if he follows us we can kill him and we'll take his piece of the map and then we can go find a treasure and we'll all be rich what's the bad news well there's a bullet like the size of a strawberry in my <laughs> belly and i'm likely gonna die from blood loss in the next five minutes and she just gotta you know oh there goes the day and passes out below deck they decide they're gonna cauterize this wound not they matthew modine who says he is a doctor no 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 it's it's one of the other guys and matthew modine steps in and is like wait a second fellas how about we do something a little more precise than just setting fire to a stomach have any of you boys seen a film called first blood 
hit it, uh, a bright young fellow named John Rambo, he removed a similar type of projectile from his body. Who here's got a pair of chopsticks and maybe a candle? I think I might be a surgeon. Let me see what I can do, boys. He gets her drunk, and not for the reasons you think, uh, but just so she could survive the extreme trauma of him digging around in her stomach with chopsticks. Oh, that's smirks. Yeah, too deep. Let me drink some more rum to keep this blood flowing. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what they say? Red sky at night. Drink all you can. <laughs> I think that's the saying. Anyway, did you get that bullet out there yet? I think yeah, you found my Eventually, he spleen. just puts his mouth on it and goes, <laughs> I got it. See? Bunk. Clank, clank. So she's starting to make, you know, moony eyes at him, theoretically. Yeah, they fall she's in love here yeah. or something. Maybe it's the liquor. It, well, it's the liquor, but you're kind of cute. Listen. I got an idea. How about I've got a map and I think you've got a map and we could share our maps. And he's like, listen, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no such map. And besides, even if I did, I would like a kiss first before we share maps. And she's like, okay. You can kiss my ass. That's what you can kiss. Hey, where's my monkey? He likes to watch me have sex. Ew. And also, ooh. As they're starting to make out a little bit here, the brother from Malcolm in the Middle comes in and he's like oh excuse me the reaper is five miles in closing and Shaw's like oh that's my cue to get out of this scene see ya later everybody and so he takes off and leaves Gina Davis alone with her monkey that only she can see and <laughs> Uh, she says, you know what, Invisible Monkey? I am pretty gosh darn sure that he's got that map. I agree, Gina Davis. You must kill everyone on the ship. You know, I was thinking about that same thing. Are you sure? Because I think I might need him to get to the treasure. Burn the more blood you lose, the more clearly you see the universe. Uh, you make a lot of sense there, Invisible Monkey. I am the truth. I am the way. Get me a banana. Eek, eek. My name is Bingo, the Dark Lord. <laughs> So on, on the Reaper, Dog says, Arr, we be chasing the casserole of the sea, but they're going to try to drag us into the, the reefs and we're going to bang up the bottom of our ship. So we're just going to go around and catch her on the other side. That'd be something a really seasoned pirate does, you know. Once a pirate loses his hand, that's when he gets hooked. Get it? Because pirates, any, how much... <laughs> How much do pirates spend to get their ears pierced, Buccaneer? Really, it's a classic, boys. Come on. I'm giving you pearls here. Sure enough, this storm <laughs> rolls in. Uh-huh. The weather started getting rough, though. <laughs> yeah. And the pirate ship is tossed. And if not for the courage of the casserole crew, Gina Davis's ship would be lost. Yeah, we see our author, Reed, complaining about how he doesn't want to be in actual danger. Then there's a, a bit with Matthew Modine below deck where he pulls out his map. Let me see here. North by Northwest, South by Southeast. Wait a minute. I figured out the coordinates. Yeah, it's a real Raiders of the Lost Ark like, well, she had some of the coordinates, but with this other side of the map, well, the actual location of Cutthroat Island would be here. Yeah. And then from the shadows, we hear click, click. Ah, jeez, Matthew Modine. I thought all of that sucking the bullet out of my belly and all of your sweet talk that you definitely wouldn't double cross me. You know, you're not even a pirate. You're, hey, wait a minute. You're my slave, right? I think you're still my slave, right? But you know what? I'm in love with you. Oh, my God. Hey, can I ask you a question? Do you see that monkey over in the corner there? Is it just me? He sees no one, Gina Davis. He sees me, and I see everything. And I see your soul leaving your body. Oh, jeez. You know what? Every time I think that maybe you've gone crazy on me, Invisible Monkey, you say something like that, and I realize that you're the smartest guy in the room. There's only one person smarter than me, Gina Davis, and that's you. You're the smartest. 
Oh, you're a flatterer, invisible monkey. She says to Matthew Bodine, you know, my invisible monkey was telling me some stuff. Yo, what? <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um, he was telling me a couple of things. I'm pretty sure that, yeah, you got the map. And also... I don't think you're a doctor. And he says, well, Gina Davis, you're right. I was born poor and I had no choice but to lead a life of thievery and lies. And she says, oh, that is really heartbreaking. I saw this whole future for us where, you know, just simple things like sitting on the couch, having some popcorn together, maybe catching up on Dancing with the Stars. But I guess it's just never going to work out for two crazy kids like us. Instead, I'm just going to maroon you on a small rock of an island. But I'm not going to shoot you because I'm such a nice person and because of the thing was sucking the bullet out of my gut. Also, I- Cut off his scalp, Gina Davis. Cut off his scalp. There's a treasure map on the top of his head. Cut it off, just like you did your father. Oh, boy. Listen, let me ask you something. How are you around blood? Because I'm gonna need to take a look at that noggin of yours. I'm okay around blood as long as it's not my own. Wait a minute, what did you say? Don't worry about it. And- <laughs> Meanwhile, the author Reed is noting the position of Cutthroat Island on the map. It's so stupid. He ties it to a homing pigeon that he releases in a hurricane. That's right. And it's going to go deliver a message to who at first I thought he was sending it to Dog. Later, we're going to find out it goes to Ainsley, our British dandy. Yeah, I thought the same thing, but anyway. Gina Davis jumps in and she says, All right, hey, listen up, boys. I got some news. If we sail through this here storm, we're going to land right at Cutthroat Island. And then the wind just blows the windows out of the captain's quarters. And then the rest of the crew, rightfully so, they come downstairs and Scully, he's leading a mutiny. And Scully says, get the longboat and put these dinglings in it so all the characters from the movie whose names we know they're dropped into this longboat and set out into the storm except for matthew modine who is chained up down below but then he magically isn't and he marches topside jumps off the side of the pirate ship into the water below as this storm rages matthew modine would be dead though Oh, they all would be because immediately, like, we see these model boats thrown against the rocks as they crash into these reefs and break into splinters. None of them would be alive. You are 100% correct. But uh, they all come to in sunlight, clinging to these shattered pieces of the boat that are all miraculously floating next to one another. And Gina Davis is like, oh boy, that was really rough. Did everybody come through that okay? And Glassbull is like, well, there are these two men that we've never talked about before and you've never heard of. But other than that, we've done very well. And she's like, oh boy, that is a relief. Where's my monkey? I'm right here. Oh, good. I'm sorry, you're what? Don't worry about it. You know, my invisible monkey who tells me who deserves to live and who deserves to die. Is that some kind of metaphor or maybe a story that your father? told you oh no he's been with me since i was like five or six years old when i was a little girl funny story i fell down a flight of stairs well two flights of stairs and when i came to uh my little monkey was with me, and he told me that my nanny shouldn't be allowed to walk the earth anymore so she disappeared and got buried in the backyard later that afternoon you know i was worried about him there at first but then he told me all kinds of fun stuff about like how easy it is to set fires and how much fun it is to hurt little animals and we've just had the best time ever since he's really <laughs> (laughs) a delight so this group of survivors they swim to shore and gina says hey everybody we need to get to the high ground to see what's going on on this island and the movie cuts back over to dog on his ship and somehow scully the arguably sensible one from gina davis's crew he's now next to our movie's bad guy and dog says arg we must thank scully for finding us and bringing us the charts from gina davis's ship so we have a plausible reason to find cutthroat island and continue our presence in the movie (laughs) yeah but gina davis 
Candace and her crew are watching through a telescope and she says, oh geez, Scully must have cut a deal with my uncle dog there. That is a real disappointment, but also something you could come to expect from Scully. Just too rational. You give me Mulder any day. He's got a sense of fancy and an imagination that can really carry him through. Anyway, doesn't matter. Dog and his men, they come to the island and in uh, pursuit of this hidden cove that leads to the treasure. Then it's suddenly nighttime on the island and Dog is asleep somewhere. A mysterious character comes in and cuts the map piece that he has off of a necklace where he keeps the map for safekeeping. Bad idea. And then a tarantula climbs over Dog's chest and the tickle of its legs wakes Dog up. Dog screams, Arg! That bitch, Gina Davis, she stole me map. Get her, boys! He squeezes the spider to death in his grip to show that he is one bad dude. Yeah. We then see that it wasn't Gina Davis that stole the map. It was Matthew Modine. He makes his escape, and all of this is incredibly boring. Only the music makes it feel adventurous. Nobody's running. They're just sort of casually walking through the jungle at fake night. Gina Davis, you need to find Matthew Modine. He's got the map and the location of the treasure. And then you can kill him, finally. And we can feast on his soul. Also, the Scoutmaster said, just shove it in. Oh, boy, I do remember that. And I'm starting to wonder if maybe you're not a figment of my imagination I invented to deal with some really horrible memories. Gina Davis, can you see me? Yeah. Then how can I be a figment of your imagination? That's a really good point. Forget what I said about those repressed memories and all that childhood trauma. Let's go get this map. So Dog and his men, they go to look for Gina Davis and her crew. We get these wide panoramic shots of the island. We get more shots of Gina Davis's crew walking around, calling out for Matthew Modine with whispers as not to alert Dog and his crew. It's really just like, Matthew Modine, are you over here? Matthew, Matthew Modine, are you over here? One of the members of our crew says, Gina Davis, I am really into ASMR. Will you say that again, but more slowly? Sure. Matthew Modine, are you over here? Hold on, I'm gonna take my fingers and scrape them around your neck. All right, can you can you can you hear that there? That's what I'm talking about. All right, Matthew Modine, are you around here? Why, Gina Davis, I'm stuck here in the dirt. Wait a second, why are you whispering like that? It's a little weird. He gave me fifteen dollars and said if I whisper and say shit about his feet or something. Anyway, it's a long story. Right. Hey, wait, you're not in the dirt. You're in quicksand. Yes, I am. Listen, it turns out that I do have that side of the map. Oh, I knew it. Monkey, you were right. What did you Monkey. say? Monkey, how about I give you the map and then you help me out of this quicksand, but you have to get me out of the quicksand first. Hold up, guys. Watch this. This is called negotiating. Hey, give me the map first. Then we'll get you out of the quicksand. Huh. That's the problem with being a thief and terribly miscast in this role. It's that nobody believes you when you say anything. Even lines that Just aren't in the Just give me the goddamn map, all right? Or I'm going to stick my invisible monkey on invisible you. Invisible monkey. All right, well, here's the map. There, there you All have right, it. see you later, Jerkaf. Oh, that's right. Let him see. I'm not very good at my job, apparently. Look him in the eyes as he sinks. Watch him until he goes under. Yeah, the monkey said I should... Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. If he sinks, then he'll be dead. Look, that's what made you show up in the first place, monkey. The first time I took a human life, that's when you started showing up around. I don't need two monkeys hanging around here. Hey, boys, grab a stick. Don't use that big rope on your shoulder, Dr. Phil character. Get a stick and kind of casually pull him out. Make it a little more suspenseful. Not really. It's kind of bad movie making, but we'll make that work for this. Nobody's seeing this film in the first place. It can be shit. We can just phone it in. 
In fact, why don't we just finish up the movie with puppets? <laughs> that would have made the movie a million <laughs> times better. If it were just the monkey and a bunch of puppets, better yet, the monkey making the puppets move. <laughs> oh, a monkey puppet show would have saved this or movie. Just finish the movie cast with monkeys. That would be good. Cutthroat Island remake with nothing but monkeys. And then you cast Gina Davis as the invisible monkey. It's like that internet meme of like, okay, if there's only one actor and everybody else is a Muppet, would, uh-huh. would that make the movie better? Or worse and in this case a million times better like by the way actual better movie muppet treasure island not a great <sighs> muppet movie way better than this as a pirate movie uh, i agree with that yeah yeah i know that's a dark truth that's the kind of thing that the invisible monkey will tell you but it's real <laughs> that's right muppet treasure island is an inferior muppet movie but it's better than cutthroat island so Gina Davis, she puts all three pieces of the map together, the cloth, the wood, her father's rotten, bloody scalp, which is now turning brown, by the way. And they realize they have to go to Flies a cliff. are just clinging to it. They're having to wave them off. A couple of beetles try to drag it away to feed their brood. Somebody cuts two eye holes in a mouth hole, puts it over their face, and like, the silence of the lambs. Yeah. Would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. They reach the edge of this cliff, <laughs> and they have to rappel down to continue their pacing to find the treasure. I'm not going to get into why none of this makes any sense. Uh-huh. because it's a useless point. Matthew Modine and Gina Davis, they rappel down, they enter into this cave on the side of this wall, and they wander around until they stumble upon the treasure. And it's gold and jewels, and it all looks incredibly fake. Chad, the, the thing that drives me nuts about this is that there's like this riddle of like, you have to go through the devil's teeth and down the throat of the... Now we don't, it's just right over there. Look, I can see it. The sparkles. Yeah, none of it matters. Like the pirate riddle doesn't make any difference. You should, you, like you said, it's just like hey is that gold i see over there sure enough it is well let's go ahead and get out of here then it is so anticlimactic it is one of those moments where during a pirate movie you want to see pirate booby traps and stuff like they knew about the goonies and that's a way better end of a pirate movie than this pirate movie i 100 percent agree so yeah uh, it's so bad topside dog and his men show up to take out Glasspool and malcolm in the middle's oldest brother and the quartermaster dr phil gina davis she climbs back up the rope to go topside to share the good news to her boys about how they found the treasure and one of dog's men just punches her in the face and knocks her out it's a dude with a chain for a hand that is going to show up at the end of this movie but up until this point i don't recall him being in this movie before instead of a hook for a hand he's got the same little covering but there's a long chain kind of like ghost rider (laughs) and he's he's the one that whipped the chain around her neck but they never really show him and his abilities because he's kind of an old man and i think he's also got a metal peg leg as well which why do they call it a peg leg couldn't they call it a prosthetic that's really what it is yeah but peg leg sounds cooler i guess so so yeah they find matthew modine climbing up with the treasure and he asks for gina davis he's like you can have the all the treasure just make sure that gina davis is all right and dog is like all right then you can have her and just throws gina davis over the side i want to in detail explain what happens here dog pushes an adult woman off of a cliff Uh uh-huh down below holding on to a 
a rope that you would find in gym class from like the 1970s. Matthew Modine has one hand holding the rope and he catches Gina Davis with his other arm as she falls. This is physically impossible. Yeah, it would rip his arm right off. Or it would shred his palm to just bloody raw meat at which point he would let go and they would die but instead what happens is snatcheroo save the day matthew modine i'm a hero he grabs her and he says well i guess that makes us full partners and she's like oh boy well i guess you did save my life tell you what i don't think this whole partnership's gonna last very long because we're about to jump into the rough waters below us that are just filled with rocks and waves crashing against those rocks sharks and uh, barracudas probably some of them eels that almost uh, ate me back there in that pirate tavern I gotta be honest, I think I saw a couple of stingrays down there, too. And those things, boy, you hit the tail. I'm not peeing on your leg. That's all I'm saying. Crocodile hunter. Didn't get killed by a crocodile. Stingray. They jump into these waters. Dog, meanwhile, and his men are like, Arr, we got the treasure. And so they start hauling it up. And then we see Reed, our author, washing his face. And Matthew Modine just washes up on the beach. Still Uh alive against all odds uh uh-huh. and reed tells him like i'm so glad you that you made it i didn't know what you were doing on that cliff or in the water but i guess i'm happy you survived the thing that i didn't know you were doing anyway if you're looking for gina davis i can take you to her and take you both to a place where dog can't find you oh that sounds great chum i really appreciate all the help and so of course he leads him right into a garrison of royal soldiers wait a minute pal this isn't what you promised in fact you double cross me dog is having a cigar with ainsley why are they in cahoots now because they're both bad guys yeah this was the thing that we got from earlier when he basically told reed like tell gina davis that she can cut me in on the treasure and i'll let her go yeah but why is dog there you don't have an answer on paper it's because (laughs) they're both bad guys they're both bad guys and they are now in cahoots with one another because ainsley is going to give dog a pardon for all his piracy in return for half of the treasure your rhetoric is tautological though i've often been referred to as tautological (laughs) and sometimes just taught (laughs) so gina davis pulls herself up to the spiky rocky shores of cutthroat island i was wondering if she had sepsis yet from that gunshot wound in her belly yeah it's starting to smell like almonds (laughs) ainsley tells trotter to piss off and he leaves with his new best friend dog to return to port royal i think with the treasure and trotter is ordered to get on the pirate ship and follow behind scuttle the one who created mutiny on gina davis's ship the casserole of the sea so there's one ship uh being followed by the pirate ship and all of our movies good guys are now in chains on their own pirate ship except for gina davis who has found her way under the ship and onto the anchor which as the anchor is pulled up, she just rides along and makes her way barefoot (laughs) onto her own ship, unnoticed by 40 or 50 people. Right. Did I leave out any implausible and thoroughly unrealistic detail? No, that's it. The invisible monkey is nowhere to be seen because she is satisfying her bloodlust here. Right. And snaps the neck of one guard, throws a sword into another, and then frees all of her men that are chained up. <laughs> and then, with no real effort, 
they just take the ship over again. They just show up and they're like, okay, this is ours again. Yeah, they toss all of the British soldiers and any of the pirates that mutinied earlier into the water. And she's like, bye-bye, see you later, all right? Wouldn't want to be you, see ya. <laughs> that was pretty good. And then Gina Davis goes down to the captain's quarters to find her imaginary monkey who's apparently hiding in an imaginary box. I've been waiting for you, Gina Davis. They head off after the British ship that's in front of them. Or maybe it's a dog ship, I don't know. Gina Davis and her crew, they sneak up and they put Trotter at the helm of the ship as to not raise any suspicion mm -hmm. it's all so boring this should be exciting and none of it is and and like very quietly she's like all right then everybody load up those cannons because we're gonna shoot at this ship in a minute it's like watching your dad drive a pontoon boat <laughs> in a wake zone yeah their whole plan is they're gonna kind of sneak up on the reaper and then just open fire on it but ainsley notices from the reaper he notices, oh, look at that. Why, the other ship is coming up on our port side. And Dog is like, they are, are they? Why, we're going to also very quietly get ready for a fight. And that's what happens. Everybody is quietly loading their cannons. And then Dog says, or I be thinking, would you mind if I hung that Matthew Modine? I know we were going to wait till we got back to land, but, you know, just to give the boy something to do on the trip back. But hear me out. We're not going to hang him regular style. We're going to climb up to the very top of the mast, take him over, and drop him a good 60 to 70 feet. It won't be so much of a hanging as a rope-assisted decapitation. Oh, that would pop his head off like a tick. And <laughs> so uh, Matthew Modine is brought up to be hung, and Blair, the Dr. Phil, is like, Gina Davis, you might want to come over here and look through this here telescope and see what's going on on that ship because I think it's going to be something you want to know about. So she sees that they're about to hang Shaw and takes a rifle from somebody and, and you know, takes aims. And you think she's going to maybe shoot the rope yeah. or shoot the guy that's going to push him off. But then quartermaster Dr. Phil's like, look, if you want to get a job done right, you do it yourself. And he just shoots a gun and kills a British soldier. So all of this setup is for nothing, Bo. Yeah, and now the fight is on. Like, the cannons are going off. Things are exploding. Matthew Modine swings from the one pirate ship to the other, and I don't understand how this happens. The physics of it do not make sense. It, the pendulum that's required to go from one ship to the other does not exist. So the, the two ships are, like, throwing hooks over the sides of the other ship's rails to pull them close so that they can do the hand-to-hand -hand combat. This scene in particular feels like a knockoff mock straight to home video movie like all of the elements are here for a great pirate sequence but it's all boring it's difficult to follow it's poorly edited there are no special effects it's just garbage it's one of those things that you know we've talked about on this show before of like you may not have noticed but your brain did right where the ships aren't moving in this scene no they were earlier they but were they're clearly anchored right it looks dull and lifeless because there's no action to this action scene so gina davis tells her first mate glasspool you know i'm gonna go over to my uncle dog ship there and i'm gonna blow out the bottom of it like that time i ate chipotle and i blew out the bottom <laughs> of my pants oh yes madam i remember it was a mess i remember you drank so much rum and as we made our way back to the ship there was a trail of diarrhea like gunpowder from a 
barrel. Yeah. I remember that other fellow tried to set it on fire, but he slipped in your diarrhea outside of Chipotle and he fell and some of it got into his mouth and then he threw up and then someone else smelled that and they threw up. That was quite the evening, Captain. When I was taking off my pants, it was literally in tatters. I, I remember you had so much to drink, uh, Captain. I took off your pants and not in the way that I wanted to. It was horrible. I can still close my eyes and my mouth and the smell is still in my nose, madam. Oh yeah, no, I can cast my mind back there and all I need is just to think the word Chipotle and I can smell it in my nose but also in my mouth a little bit. I as well, Captain. Why don't you go blow up your uncle, brother, dad, husband's ship? Do what you were talking about, all right? And you know what? Uh, You know who I bet will go with you? That invisible monkey you're always talking about. Take him with you. Take him with you for companionship. Oh, that's a good idea. You're such a good first mate. Hey, do you think they got any Chipotle over there? They absolutely do. They had it catered. They brought it in. Go downstairs. Two floors down, craft services. Go into the green room. See you later there, glass jar. Absolutely. Oh, God. I've got to update my resume. Oh, I need to get on pirate LinkedIn. (laughs) Matthew Modine is like sneaking below to get the treasure. On dog ship. On dog ship. I don't know how he got back over there. But anyway, (laughs) he finds it all like tied up, neat and tidy in the hull of this ship. Daisy Mae, what do you say? Look at this. I've struck gold, literally. Here we go. Time for me to fill up my tiny pants pockets with as much gold as these tiny pants pockets can hold. He's trying to shoot the lock off. Meanwhile, Gina Davis is grabbing cash of gunpowder and just throwing it willy-nilly all over the place to create this fuse and so she <laughs> lights the gunpowder while the monkey's like yes yes kill them all gina davis burn it all burn, burn. i want to see it burn do you know how many people this will kill this will feed the master <laughs> there's a giant explosion and water suddenly floods and the the treasure shifts on the pallet or whatever they've got it on and it traps matthew modine in the hold and on cue glasspool sees this explosion and he was told by gina davis hey when you see this explosion cut loose from the reaper so that the ship doesn't get drowned or whatever happens when ships sink oh maybe that's just what it's called sinking Whatever it is, I'm going to go check on that Chipotle. Gina Davis finds Matthew Modine pinned beneath the treasure. Then Dog shows up and he says, Argh, Gina Davis, you come to steal me treasure that I stole from you. Let's finish this, Gina Davis. Yeah. And then Gina Davis and Dog, they go topside and they start sword fighting and around them are other characters that we've met in the movie sword fighting with knives and axes and chains nobody cares (laughs) it is all incredibly boring gina davis climbs up the mast to make the finale like more precarious as dog gives chase they end up at the top of the mast they walk out on this i guess the pole or whatever you call it i don't know what the hell it is and they do more sword fighting like you would expect in a pirate movie then gina davis and dog they climb up to this platform high up into the air dog smashes gina davis in the face and then he just punches her and there's this darth vader moment where dog says "Arr, gina davis join me you and me against the world we could rule the universe together and gina davis says no way mister you're a real jerk so dog cuts a rope that sends gina davis dropping like a good hundred feet down Mm -hmm. to her death i'm just kidding she lands on her back and gets up easy peasy he gives the most ridiculous growl of anger anger here that is just literally looking up at the sky and going it's nonsense but yeah he slides down to finish her off she runs down to save matthew modine dog follows yeah it's looking bleak Bo. and then dog marches over to kill gina davis she's pretty beat up because you know this 
giant man has been waylaying on her. And at the very last minute, Gina Davis leans over and grabs a piece of burning wood from a fireplace or maybe from part of the ship that's on fire. And Dog says, Arg, you plan to fight me with that tiny stick of wood, do ye? And then Gina Davis grabs a tarp, yanks it back and reveals a cannon. And she says, oh, no, don't you know, I plan to fight you with this. And she lights the cannon's fuse and says, bad dog. The cannon fires, sending Dog through the walls of this ship, like walls, plural, multiple. He blasts out the front of the ship and into the water. Kersploosh, Dog is dead. And the invisible monkey is like, yes, yes, more souls for the master. And Gina Davis (laughs) has to save Matthew Modine, uh-huh. Who is drowning by kissing him and pumping air into his mouth? Along, with, I don't remember that, but if you say so, uh, along with more syphilis, and <laughs> then she uses a lever to kind of get him free. Fire is spreading everywhere. Matthew Modine is starting to swim to freedom. Gina Davis dives down, and he tells her, "Look, Gina Davis, there's no time to save the treasure and us both. We've got to get out of here." It turns out she's tied a barrel to the treasure, and the crew of the Casserole of the Sea watch as Gina Davis and Matthew Modine jump like swan dive off the back of the Reaper as it explodes behind them. And this is a pretty good practical explosion, in fairness. So at least there's uh, something real being blown up on screen. That's all right. I agree with that. I think when they blew this up, wherever this was filmed, local people were just like, Jesus Christ, what was that? It was a real deal explosion. Yeah, it knocked out some windows somewhere, uh, (laughs) which just ballooned the budget even more. Matthew Modine is back on the ship with gina davis well i guess i'm poor again but that's all right at least i'm alive and gina davis says oh geez you know i like the fact that you're so humble but yeah i put that barrel marker on the treasure so all we got to do is pull it up hell aren't you a smart cookie cut to chad this crazy amount of treasure now unboxed and just thrown on the deck of this ship it is a mountain of treasure that scrooge mcduck could swim around (laughs) yes yes and gina davis is giving a big speech about like listen here all you uh crazy pirates look you got two choices one we can divvy all this treasure up because nobody ever Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Let me let me oh. give you both choices. So you can walk out of here with all of this treasure. Yes! You know what? I'm going to go with the other one. Or we can stay uh, together no! like a family <laughs> and what? we can be pirates uh, huh? and add to the treasure that we've got on the deck and not divvy it up right now. Be wary, Gina Davis. We might have to kill them all. All the pirates cheer to stay pirates. It was a goof. They were all just like getting one over. Like, And I want the scene where they were like, all right, here's what I think is going to happen. I think the captain is going to ask us if we want to divvy up the treasure right, or want right. to keep being a pirate. So, okay. And that's what we want to do. Oh, right? yeah. We all want to be a pirate. It's so much fun. Look at all the treasure we got. Sure. sure. Why would we want to take all of the money and go retire and have uh, sex with whores and drink? And My point exactly. So when she says, uh-huh. do we want to keep being a pirate? I'm yeah. going to say that I always wanted to be a farmer. <laughs> Johnson, you say that you, you had your eye on a little inn somewhere or something, and we're going to oh. pretend yeah. like we don't want to be pirates no more. And then we all have invisible monkeys. Invisible? What is going on with this invisible monkeys? Anyway, you, just wait until she looks at her most distraught. Right. And then we'll all just have a big laugh. Right. And then we attack her. 
No, no, we're this is a happy thing that we're all doing. We're just having oh. a little joke at the captain's expense, but we're not trying to hurt her or. Oh, oh okay. You know what? I'll, I'll I'll just do what you do. I'll, I'll wait for you. Yeah, yeah. I think that's best. You just keep an eye on me. I, I think maybe we need to get some new crew members on here. Everybody's talking about these stupid invisible monkeys. I think they're just <laughs> filled with bad ideas. So they all agree to stay pirates. Trotter, who is no longer working for our British dandy. He's a newbie pirate, and she says, like, she, Trotter, why don't you get up there in the crow's nest and take the shit job because you're the newbie? And Trotter's like, ah, jeez, okay, new boss, whatever you say. And then Gina Davis and Matthew Modine kiss, uh-huh. and she says, hey, Matthew Modine, I want you to come down, and we're going to have sex in the captain quarters while my invisible monkey watches us. He likes to watch. Invisible monkey? Yes, <laughs> yes. I want to see it all. Gina Davis, tonight you will be the man and he will be the woman. Gina Davis, I want you to have one word in your mind when you make love to this man. Geldine. Geldine. <laughs> the end. Yeah. That's it. That's the whole movie. Yeah, that is it. All two plus hours of Cutthroat Island. And as you said, Chad, this is maybe the most boring pirate movie that's ever been made. It is. There's no adventure. Not really. I mean, there are action sequences in the film, but they are somehow just boring. Yeah. I I don't know how to describe it. Like, they're just truly, it feels like in a European knockoff of a big budget Hollywood blockbuster where conceptually they know what they're doing, but the execution is just a mess. Right. It's like when you see like the Italian interpretation of Star Wars where it's like, Right. All the ingredients are there, but this did not come out of the oven right. No, not at all. Uh, but, Chad, speaking of yes. Star Wars, mm-hmm. it's time for Pick 6 Movies to head into space. Bo, we have not done many animated movies on this podcast. No. And I think the only one that we've done was All Dogs Go to Heaven way back in season one. Mm, we were yeah. just babies back then. Oh, we were so full of life and love i thought it was time that we visited this genre of entertainment with box office bombs once again with a little film titled mars needs moms based on the children's book by berkeley Brethen, the guy who brought us bloom county <laughs> as well as the creative minds behind robert zemeckis's live action animated studio that produced such wonderful films as the polar express beowulf and a christmas carol starring your least favorite actor jim carrey it's everything you love about computer animation combined with the soulless eyes of animated human beings Bo. Ah, uh, well, that sounds terrible. Plus, it may be the most misogynistic movie we've ever reviewed on Pick 6 Movies, and we reviewed Showgirls. That is a bold statement. But I'm excited <laughs> to uh, put it to the test, and also to never talk about the Cutthroat Island again. Agreed. We have an accord. If you want to reach out to us, drop us a line. Pick6movies at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and some other social media. I don't know what's going on with all that. I don't really pay too much attention. Uh, Bo, any final thoughts that you have on uh, Cutthroat Island? Bo is not here. Listeners of Pick 6 Movies, I sent you to burn. Burn! Burn! Bad monkey! Bad monkey! <laughs> we'll see you in two weeks time, everybody! Bye!